are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to speak to you for a moment about the testimony of this empty tomb. What does it say? What do I learn from the testimony of the empty tomb? Number one, it gives testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ our Lord. He must indeed have been the Son of God. He claimed to be. He said that he was. The Bible announces that he is. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Delivered by the Virgin. No fault could I find with him, said Pilate. And I come to accept that. And yet he is the Son of God. The very Son of God. I and the Father are one, he said. He that has seen me has seen the Father. My Father which sent me, the Lord talks about in the New Testament. I must go to my Father. He said that in our sons go lesson today. Touch me not, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Jesus is God, very God. Had he only been a man, his grave would have been filled like the grave of Muhammad, like the grave of Lincoln, and like the grave of Washington. But since he's not just a man, he's a God-man. He's a man in the flesh, but he's God incarnate in a human body. And because he's God, on the third day, he walks out of that grave. I read about it further in the Revelation chapter 1. He said to John, fear not. He said, don't be afraid. I have the keys of death and of hell, and I have the keys of the grave. Trapped at my side. Death could not contain its prey. The grave could not retain its victim. He came forth. Resurrected, gloriously resurrected to give testimony, in fact, that he is the very Son of God. And when I gather, when you gather into this place of worship, and we sing about Jesus, we teach about Jesus, we preach about Jesus, we're not worshiping a man, we're worshiping God. God revealed, God manifested in a man, divinely conceived by the Holy Ghost, miraculously delivered by a virgin, triumphantly living in a sojourn upon this earth, and triumphantly dying upon an old ragged cross, and then to seal his own testimony, walking out of the grave on the third day. And I have the keys of death and hell at my side, fear not. That gives testimony, as far as I'm concerned, to the deity of Jesus. He is very God. One liberal said, you ought not to worship Jesus. You make a God out of him. You make an idol out of him if you worship Jesus. I submit, my friend, when I worship Jesus and when you, we worship God. We worship God. Not a man. Jesus is very God. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the open grave is all the testimony to that fact that I need. If he were only a man, he would be in that grave today. If he were not God, he could not have come forth. But the fact that he arose, and the Bible is clear about it, the fact that he arose is all the power that I need, all the evidence I need, that he's very God of very God. I've told this story many times. I want to repeat it. 
When I sat in college, I took a course in ancient history, 45 years ago, I guess. And uh, the teacher was teaching ancient history in that course. And that professor said that the best established fact in all of ancient history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I was a young man then, of course, but that struck me, that impressed me. And I've never forgotten that classroom. I've forgotten all the others, most of all the other class sessions in that course, but I've never forgot that. And until this day, I can still say with that professor that the best established fact in all of ancient history is that the third day Jesus came out of the grave. Gloriously triumphant. And so there is testimony to the deity of Christ. Then reminded you that the empty tomb gives testimony to the power of Christ. Glorious power. Miracle power. Why, he had power to walk upon the waters of Galilee. He had power to break five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 hungry people, pick up 12 basketfuls left over. He had power to touch the casket of a widow's son and resurrect the young man. He had power to go to the tomb of Lazarus in Bethany and cry with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walked forth bound hand and foot in grave clothes. He had power that the winds and waves obey his voice. He would speak and the hurricane wind would lie down at his feet like a subdued animal. The power of Jesus. The grave could not contain his prey. Death could not conquer him. Death will one day silence my voice. Death will one day bring to an end my life. We buried Brother Thompson so long with us and so great to love by our people, young and old. Brother Thompson, by the way, had planned to be on the uh, uh, senior trip uh, this year. Uh, for the last two or three years, he's been going with the young people, and they loved him. But he won't be on the trip this time. He's on a, a graduation trip indeed now, into glory, into paradise. But one day, your life is going to become terminated. And when you come to the end of your journey, you're not going to have power to retain life. I've seen sick people so weak until they couldn't lift their hand. I visited one of my ladies in the hospital a few months ago, and she was so wasted and so weak with cancer until she couldn't pick her hand up off the side of the bed and put it on the, put it on the railing of the hospital bed. Just wasted totally away, so weak until she could hardly speak. That's why we put our ears down to their mouth to try to pick up their words. Weak! Wasted away. No power to retain life. But I mark you that my Lord had power even upon the cross to dismiss his spirit. He gave up the ghost. The ghost, the Holy Spirit did not leave him. He gave up the Holy Spirit. He bowed his head and gave up the Holy Ghost. Or later when dying people come to their deathbed, they have no control over their head. Though our Lord was marred more than any man, I don't think there was ever a moment upon Calvary, but that he held his head erect. He's God. How could God drop his head? They beat him and marred him and scarred him and lashed him and lacerated him. But he always had power to hold his head high. But when he gave up and dismissed the Holy Spirit, 
he bowed his head and died voluntarily and deliberately. He gave up the spirit, gave up the ghost voluntarily. That is to say that he had power right then and voluntarily gave that power up. Now you'll lose that power someday, but not the Lord. He's never weak. He's never weak. He was not weak upon the cross. And when they took his dead body down, he was busy leading captivity, captive and giving gifts to men. Moving paradise from below to paradise above. And when that responsibility is finished, then he came back to that tomb and took up his body that had been beaten and scarred and lashed and lacerated, bloody, picked it up and changed it in the moment into a body celestial, so glorious, until Mary didn't recognize him in our Sunday school lesson a while ago. His body did shine so much in the resurrection that Mary didn't know him until he spoke. And she recognized his voice. Power. Oh, what power that is. I see the testimony of the power of Christ when he walked out of the grave. Death cannot contain his prey. The one bitter enemy that me and you resist and turn from and fight against is the enemy of death. Our Lord faced that same enemy, but he faced it with victory. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Death did not take him. He yielded himself to death and died voluntarily. And then three, three days later, walked out of the grave in his own strength. Peter and John were there soon after, but nobody need help him up or help him out. Brother, you don't help God up. You don't help God out. He comes out. He gets up. He's the eternal God. He needed nobody to help him out of that grave. The stone rolled away. And had there been a multitude of stones, it would have made no difference because he's a powerful Christ of God. And I see the testimony of that power in the resurrection of our Lord. All power is given unto me, he said, in heaven and in earth. The power of Christ. And then the empty tomb is a testimony of the breaking of the authority of Satan. The old devil is a common enemy, no doubt about that. He's a vicious enemy. The devil is a relentless enemy. He never lets up. He never slacks up. He bothers you in season, out of season. He bothers me constantly and you. He threatens. He harasses. He intimidates. He lies to you. He threatens you to take your life. He indicts you. He condemns you. But I want you to know that the authority of the devil is broken. The power of the devil is broken. The most humiliating moment the devil ever faced in his life is when Jesus walked out of that grave. He thought he had the victory, but he didn't have the victory. Jesus walked out of that grave and the power of the devil is broken. Read that in Hebrews chapter number 2 when you have the opportunity. Oh, he has great power and great authority. The devil is really a, a vicious enemy and a real enemy. But my Lord broke the power of the devil when he walked out of the grave. Like David, when he met Goliath in the valley of Elah. And David said, I think I can handle that, that uh, slandering giant. 
and he took his sling and five stones. He used one stone and buried that stone in the forehead of that giant. He drops to the ground like lead, mortally wounded by that stone. But you know, when you, when you see that in typology, when that giant dropped to the ground as a result of that wound in his forehead, a fulfillment of Genesis chapter number 3, one day, uh, you remember how God said, devil, uh, he'll bruise you, he'll destroy you, the seed of this woman that you now mock at shall one day bruise your head. And I see a type of that when David bruised the head of the giant. But you know, after David dropped the giant with that stone, he took Saul's sword, he took the giant's sword, and sawed that giant's head off, just cut his head off, square with his shoulder. That's a gruesome sort of thing, and a sad sort of a thing, and an ugly sort of a picture, but that's what he did. Little David, young man, 20 maybe, climbed up on the great massive body of that man unconscious for that mortal wound in his forehead and sawed his head off. And picked that head up by the hair and carried it back and laid it down at the feet of King Saul of Israel and announced to him, your enemy is finished. Your enemy is out of the way. Now I want to say to you, when Jesus died on the cross, he inflicted a mortal wound upon the devil that he'll never get over. But when he walked out of the grave, he saw the devil's head off. And the devil is removed forever. He's removed forever. As you and him in mind, we have one greater than the devil who defeated the devil and moved him out of the way. And of this, of this moment, the devil has no authority over my destiny, over my grace, over my faith. The devil can do nothing about it, but watch it happen. His power has been canceled. My Savior, like David, cut his head off when he walked out of the grave on the third day. I see the testimony of the breaking of the authority of the devil. Then number four, the empty tomb is a testimony to the assurance of our own future resurrection and what one of us sometimes don't think about death the grave and hereafter I don't think it would be possible for a man to live and see people die and see people suffer and go to funerals and go to the cemetery and everywhere you go along every highway in every village every hamlet around the world when you leave America one thing Europe has in common cemeteries except theirs are more ancient and larger because the country is older but in our country cemeteries are growing people are dying they're going to keep on dying how could a person live and not think about death and the grave and hereafter I don't think it would be possible if you live and see people suffer and die you're going to think about that yourself no way well, don't remind me of it now, preacher. Well, may as well be reminded of it. No need to whistle past the cemetery. No need to push it under the rug. You can't wish it away, that's for sure. You're going to have to face up to the fact that we're dying creatures. And as a tree falls, so shall it lie. You spurn the grace of God, you're going to die and go to hell.
But if you'll accept the Lord Jesus, you can go to heaven when you come to die. Die, all of us must. And what you do with Jesus will determine your eternal destiny, hell or heaven, one or the other. You can't help but think about it. I think of it. You think of it. I don't especially relish the idea of dying. I'm not afraid to die. But I'd rather live. I've enjoyed living. Life is wonderful. I marvel at every day God lets me live. I'm happy to be alive. I'm ready to die, but I hope I can live a long, long time, you see. But one day I'm going to die. But I have full assurance down here in my heart that if a man die, he shall live again. Death is not the end. You remember Job made that great question in Job 14, 14. If a man die, shall he live again forever? The answer is yes. If a man dies, he shall. He does live again. Not in some reincarnated being, a reincarnated body, but you're going to live again as yourself. Either in hell, tormented by the fire, or in heaven, in the bliss of paradise. What you do with Jesus will determine the two. Which of the two, you see? Of uh, the future resurrection. Every time I look at a grave, I'm assured that one day I'm coming out. I stood at Brother Thompson's grave last week and I prayed the closing prayer. And in my prayer, I said, I pray, I hope, I surely believe in the resurrection of the dead. And I said that in my prayer. And I meant that. I assuredly believe in the resurrection of the dead. The dead one day are coming forth. Jesus, the first fruit of them would slap we after him at his coming. We're coming out of the grave someday. Old Brother Harv Stanberry, the old white-haired southern railroad engineer with the Lord, been dead 25 years, I guess, pastor over here in Asia, Henderson County, said to me one day, he said, Preacher, and he was old enough to be my dad. He said, when you go to the cemetery and visit the graveside of your daughter, he said, uh, keep in mind that that is not burial ground. Well, I've always looked upon it as a burial site. We have three graves there, both in paid for, and two of them are waiting for myself and my wife. And our child is there. And I always looked upon it as a burial plot. We call it burial ground. We call it cemetery. But old Brother Stanberry smiled and put his hand on my shoulder, looked into my face and said, Preacher, that's resurrection ground. And I said, well, God bless you, dear brother. I had not thought about it like that. He said, on this spot of earth, on this spot of ground, God shall demonstrate the greatest of all the miracles, the resurrection. And he's right. He's right. Have you bought you a resurrection site yet? Like Nassau has a launching site down in Florida and a launching pad down in Florida. I have a launching pad out at Woodlawn Memorial Park. And one day I'm going to use that launching pad. That's a burial ground. No, that's the place where God shall get me and you out of the grave. And when I come out of the grave and strike hands with mother and dad and uh, loved ones, or, uh, or Brother Burns' mother, uh, wife, I'm sorry, Brother Harold's mother, was buried just uh, 10 feet away from my mom and daddy. 
and our child is buried, and I'll be buried about 25 feet away from them. We're going to have a little congregation right on there. You're talking about shouting and rejoicing. When I look at that hole in the ground, and I say, Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Oh, sting, where is thy death? And then I look up and say, But thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's resurrection. Well, you'll never make it. Brethren, I've already made it. Everything's in order. My house is set. My faith is fixed. My Savior reigns. And He's coming again one day to lift me out of the grave. What a moment that's going to be. I don't serve a dead Savior. I serve a living Savior. And one day He'll speak and every child of God will hear His voice and step out of that grave in what we call the resurrection. Well, I just can't... I feel sorry for you if you don't believe that. But don't disturb me. I do believe it. And that takes the sting out of death. Right? I'm going to the cemetery, but I'll sleep through the night of time until the dawning of the eternal day. I mean, my body will sleep in that grave during the night of time, but when the sun rises on that resurrection morning, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to get up. And I'll be lifted up. Uh, the testimony of the empty tomb tells me that. Then number five, the empty tomb gives testimony to the fashion of the resurrection body. Uh, sown in corruption, but raised in incorruption. Sown mortal, but raised immortal. Sown earthly, but raised celestial. Sown in weakness, but raised in power. Sown physical, but raised spiritual. We're going to shine like the body of Jesus shined. And maybe he saw that body, but he shined so much with glory until she didn't recognize the Christ. Because his body shined like a celestial body ought to shine. But I have a terrestrial body. I have a physical body. And there's nothing attractive about my body now. But you wait until God glorifies me. And when I come out of the grave, I come out glorified. When Jesus came out, he came out glorified. Yes, sir. He's shining. I mean, you're coming out glorified and shining. You know, if the resurrection takes place at night, it might. There are no street lights in Woodlawn and Graceland. That's, that's about the darkest place in Greenville. Graceland and Woodlawn and Memorial, Green Memorial. About the darkest area in the city. But when all the saints come out of the grave with glorified bodies even at the midnight, it's going to light up like the rise of the sun. The whole area will become illuminated by glowing bodies of saints of God who just stepped out of the grave. It will shine more than Main Street, but will appear to be dark compared to Woodlawn on the resurrection morning. What a day that's going to be. And then again, this empty tomb gives testimony uh, to the method of it all. How is God going to do it? Why is God going to do it? Right. Romans 8, verse number 20, verse number 11 tells me that God will quicken our mortal bodies. Our bodies are now mortal, subject to death. But God's going to quicken. That means make alive our mortal bodies and mortality 
will be swallowed up with immortality. He's going to quicken my corruptible body, and my corruptible body will be swallowed up with glorious incorruption. That's God's way. That's what the book tells me. I can't understand how God's going to do all that, but He's going to do it. He did it with my Lord, who is the first fruit of those that sleep and those that came out of the grave. And He being the first fruits is the guarantee, the token, and the assurance that all we after Him at His coming. What a day that's going to be. The empty tomb. The empty tomb. There in Jerusalem. When you go visit it, it shouts at you. When you when you go there, it speaks to you. You having not been there, know that it's there because your pastor's been there and he's told you about it. You also can enjoy the benefit of that empty grave. Jesus is not there. He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. But he's not there now. He's in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God on high, waiting until that morning when the bridegroom will be moved and awakened and discover the bride at his feet. Like Boaz discovered Ruth at his feet at the midnight. One day, Christ will discover the church at his feet. And he's going to get us out of the grave and carry us to a wedding in the very next chapter. The wedding between the bride and the bridegroom. The testimony of the empty tomb. May we stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Our Father, we thank you for this blessed assurance that one day it's going to happen. I'll not be able to tell the people exactly how it's going to happen. I don't understand all the mysteries of it and the mechanism of it. But the Bible clearly announces that the resurrection is a reality. Christ arose from the grave and left behind an empty tomb. And down through the centuries, that empty tomb is shouted to the church someday, some golden daybreak, the dead in Christ will come out of the grave. And then, Lord, to give us a little touch of it, in this same book that I read from a moment ago, in the chapter preceding, in chapter 27, and in verse 51, you tell us about the Old Testament saints that came out of their grave when our Lord came out of the grave. Certainly, if we can believe that, then we can believe that the New Testament saints shall likewise come out of the grave at the second coming of our Lord. Have us to be assured of it. By grace and faith, we pray. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org.